Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 303, a.k.a. I Have No Spleen, is sponsored by four-day-old Fridge Burger for that epic first date. Pete, we can live life in the past and the future looking to our podcast past. If you, dear listener, are preparing to watch Cloak and Dagger, we have our season two podcast ready to go for your ears. Meanwhile, Pete is now less than two weeks until the Tuesday premiere of Spider-Man Far From Home. Can't wait to bring that to you. Have already brought all of Cloak and Dagger seasons one and two to you. Something to keep you tied up in between Jessica Jones podcast, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, and everything else coming your way from Fantastic Geek. With that, Pete, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. The episode is written by writer-producer Lisa Randolph, who also was a writer-producer on season one of Star Trek Discovery, and directed by Anton Cropper, veteran of episodes of Blackish, LA's Finest, Suits, Future Man, and Bones. Jessica wants a name, and it's Andrew Brandt, just like last time. The story stays with Jessica in the hospital. She reflects on her superpowers and sees the bracelet reading, Jessica Jones, I Have No Spleen. A doctor explains about the glorious spleen, er, explains it, and says reckless behavior must be avoided. For a normal human, the injury would have been fatal. She passes out and wakes up to Detective Costa. He doesn't want to play ball, even though she's the victim of this crime. Jessica checks out of the hospital AMA, that's against medical advice, and ponders her own strength as she stumbles home. Jillian is there, minding the office and sharing Jessica's post-spleen pills, which need to be washed down with water. Thank you very much. Later, Jessica is researching Andrew Brandt. So is Trish. Malcolm comes to the door, the attacker's knife in his hand. He pulled it before the police arrived. The knife's common and has no prints. The next morning, she snoops around Brandt's place and finds a lead after ten minutes. Trish has been there for hours, trying to be a hero. Jess says she's been one for half her life, though Trish defines her as super, not a hero. Jessica takes her lead about artwork and finds dead ends. That night she's visited by Eric, who's just checking up on her, and the burger. We know she loved it, but she says she chucked it out, and for him to scram. The next morning, Jess stumbles out of bed to meet with a client. It's Jerry Hogarth checking in on her. They're both on a bevy of pills, but Jerry's focusing on the journey, not the end. They need to stick together, and Jerry's giving Jess a little help in the art world. Elsewhere, Malcolm is urinating blood and passing it off as no big deal to his lady friend Zaya. We know it's from his intentional auto accident, but he's not fessing up to that. Jerry's on to their romance and wants him to sign a consent form and to keep his cases out of the relationship. Meanwhile, Jerry needs a workup on a law professor. Malcolm snoops at the school, ending up at the professor's office. Hey, we've seen him before. It's Zith's husband. Malcolm installs spyware on the professor's computer and leaves the office, yet gets pulled back into a professorial chat on legal ethics and faith. 
That night, Malcolm reviews the stolen footage. It turns out Dr. Professor is expanding his carnal knowledge with a young lady in his office. At a fancy Manhattan dining establishment, Jerry's having lunch with Zith. Their rocky romantic past is recapped, and Zith wonders what they've been doing. After all, Jerry Hogarth doesn't do nostalgia. Zith does. Her daughter passed away. It almost took her away from music. With that, Zith bounces, leaving Jerry surprised. Later, Zith comes by Jerry's apartment. Is it true Jerry's still got the tape of the song Zith composed for her? It is, though the player eats the tape. So out comes the cello, and the song played live. It seems to stir old feelings for both of them. The music rises, as does the passion. Later, for Jerry and Zith, it's after the act. The cellist is impressed that Jerry has gotten so far in life. But Jerry thinks she's getting away with something. Zith has an open marriage. By the time Malcolm tells Jerry the same information, that the professor's with the student, it's now not very potent. Back with Trish, she's back at work on ARN, hawking chamomile tea and rib-knit long cardigans. Hey, they just sold 140,000 units. It's all anyone could hope for, right? Back at home, she suits up for crime fighting. She goes onto the mean streets and ends up tailing Jessica. The PI passes out, and Trish takes some info after calling 911. Jessica wakes up in the hospital again. She was dehydrated, maybe by all the booze. She dips in and out of consciousness, but promises to spend the night in the hospital. The next morning, she checks out, presumably with permission. She makes her way to an art gallery, tip courtesy of Jerry. She up up in a ways to the top of the building, then takes the stairs down. She finds the statue just like that, and here's Trish downstairs getting the celeb tour. Trish snaps a pic of the dealer's contacts, all without being caught. Outside, the two ladies meet up. Trish is impressed with her year of training, but it doesn't stop Jess from backhanding her and taking her phone. Jessica calls Brandt, telling him about a super art sale. Jessica confronts Brandt and says she wants to know why she was stabbed. He denies it. Why anger a super? So who came after her? Jess isn't sure, but tells Trish where he can find Brandt. At home, Jess calls Eric, and when he arrives, she flashes back to her stabbing, replaying it in her mind. She invites him in, then picks him up by the neck, asking him why someone wants to kill him. What suspects are our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Malcolm. Stealing evidence, breaking into law professor Peter's office and gaining illicit leverage which later on winds up meaning essentially nothing can't say he's not paid for it a little bit in advance uh urinating blood but uh malcolm continues to walk this really strange line and i think that what he is given to do in this episode it's a great job highlighting his journey i think that a lesser show, maybe a lesser Marvel Netflix show, would just have him doing the snooping in this episode and then being given difficult uh, moral reflections in the next. Instead, they kind of fold it all in here, courtesy of that snoop job to Peter uh, that takes the time to have him reflect on legal ethics and faith. 
then gives him the juicy bit of, oh man, he's, uh, he, the professor is stooping the student. Uh, and then it, you know, by the time he delivers that, uh, to, to Jerry Hogarth, it is completely useless. We know, Jerry knows, he doesn't know. So it's this kind of journey into filth that nets him nothing. Yeah. And I think that that might be the worst type of comeuppance that he convinces himself that he needs to do these things, that it's about eventually being able to strike out on his own and it gets him nowhere. Pete, let's now talk Trish, who uh, I'll grant her this, Pete. She knows how to use her fame to get into uh, a gray art gallery and she knows how to use her powers and her, her training to do an awesome flip back onto the couch. But she too on something of a slippery moral slope. Yeah, stealing things from her uh, unconscious former best friend's person to gain a leg up in this investigation, all because she wants to be a hero. Now, Pete, next here, I see that you have grouped Kiff and Peter together. Explain that. They both seem to be cool with the decisions they make, and they're cool with the each person the other person's making their decisions what makes them so suspicious well i i think the very nature that they have this open marriage from the moment that we see kith out with jerry we suspect the seduction is in play first of course kith demurs um Later, we see that uh, Peter is guilty of this um, duplicity and to have Kith sleep with Jerry 25 years after they broke up. And then the explanation that it essentially doesn't mean anything. We're never going to leave one another, yet we cheat on one another I just don't feel that there's a lot of trust there. They're, they're doing each other dirty um, and, and the involvement with other people. I think they think there's a lot of trust there. What they don't know is that they are in the third episode of 13 uh, episode season and there's plenty of opportunity in the decisions they've made for things to go askew. Similarly, we have Jerry who I don't, necessarily fault her i'll just i don't fault her for sleeping with a married woman kith knew what she was doing i think that what we are meant to uh find egregious from jerry is this really above and beyond snooping that she pays her employee to do not in order to uh bring back a, a girl who dad took her out of the country and mom has custody or things of that sort. It's just outright Jerry wants dirt because she wants to want Kith more. Yeah. And again, there is no black and white on this show. Everybody's got their hands dirty, uh, but that she's suffering from ALS. She talks specifically about how it's all about the journey now and not where it's going to end. Okay, we get it, but does that need to include wrecking a marriage for your personal thrills? In terms of an evolving sense of villainy, of suspicion, 
I don't know what to believe exactly anymore about Andrew Brandt. Certainly the in that Jessica had regarding he hired someone to attack her and uh, she was the target that gets flipped on its head at the end of the episode. Pete, help me. What should I think about Andrew Brandt? We should think that he's a terrible person because he's attacked his sister over this dumb statue that we still don't fully understand the significance of. Um, and he keeps cars in uh, a flat uh, that he may or may not be calling a man cave. <laughs> Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes Pete, Malcolm, and the professor. I can't call him Peter, Pete. Malcolm and the professor have met face-to-face. Is this setting up some sort of Chekhov's gun situation in the future? I think it's very interesting that they had this conversation that the religion came to the forefront, the subject of legal ethics, um, clearly a loaded gun, Matt, that needs to go off at some point. Whether it is Malcolm reflecting on his own journey with legal ethics or, you know, the professor recognizing him or something, I feel like it's a scene that cries out for some sort of continuation. Otherwise, it's a cool character moment of reflection but doesn't really do anything to advance the plot uh, other than, I guess marginally set some sort of timetable of look malcolm was in there and we could recognize that on malcolm's computer when he watches the footage back uh or do you mean daryl matt pete all the more reason why there could be confusion there they are at the fancy restaurant oh look it's daryl no wait this is my boyfriend malcolm etc malcolm who is currently peeing blood which was one of the more graphic things we've seen on our Marvel Cinematic Universe TV screen. Um, it was a bit of a surprise, but Pete, it's a it's it's a basic body function, at least the urine part. Uh, the introduction of introduction of blood, certainly a quick way to say, hey, something's not right. It's not supposed to do that. No, and a way to make your viewer certainly wince. Um, you know, he's he's got this injury. Uh, and apparently Zaya thinks, oh, you have this and we should still couple though. You might be harmed here. I will straddle you. Um, you know what, Pete, he gives the all clear. She's a lady who has wants, you know, she gets a thumbs up. You know what? Go get it, lady. Go get it. The subject of their workplace romance it's more than a dalliance matt at least malcolm says that it is and having to sign a consent form of course this is going to end well right that portion is understandable enough but it's it's when jerry says you know no crossing of the work trails here and then there he is working from home watching the footage salacious as it might be a, ignoring his lady love. B, the headphones pop out. And it sounds like he's, you know, on a, on a website for personal use, not on the case. Very clearly, this is the, this is the railroad crossing. Ding, ding, ding. The lights are flashing and the, the guard rails are about to come down, but they haven't yet. 
Pete, if it's not 304, it'll be 305 that this starts to get worse. The vulnerability they've built into Jessica through the loss of her spleen, um, the detailed explanation, microorganisms, obviously the way that she treats her body through the use of alcohol, something that previously with a spleen she could certainly tolerate, now needs to take her uh, pills or her special beans before she's able to uh, jump on top of a uh, you know low building in Manhattan. All of this is going to go well, too, right? Well, I love, in a story sense, that this is her kryptonite. This is the way to have her be the super-powered person that she's been for two seasons plus Defenders, but now to take some of that away. And I think it also gives the story the flexibility to, she heals really fast, so come 306, she's all better, or oh my goodness, it's infected, it's 310, she still is, you know, able to be downed by two toughs sent by, you know, Andrew Brandt's secret hand employer or whatever it might be. It gives that ability for her to exit the story at the end of the season as powerful as she's always been, but in the interim, they get to bring that power level down. Pete, here's a question for you, just informally. Does this hour of American television set the record for number of times Spleen said in a scripted hour-long drama? It has to. It was almost too much. Maybe some of that came from the doctor, which was intentionally too much. Um, at a certain point, I was just a bit done with hearing the word Spleen. Pete, they didn't even give us dendritic cells or microphages. They just... They just kept saying spleen. I mean, the the puns were fine, but past that, I think you really start to overdo it. Pete, I happened to click on spleen on Wikipedia. This is either very extremely super meta or spleen, uh, or, or it's the craziest of uh, coincidences. In humans, do you know what color the spleen is? Wait, wait, wait. Inhumans? <laughs> like, inhuman spleen? Wait, hold on. For humans, what color is the spleen? The spleen which Jessica Jones had taken out, what color was it, assuming her spleen is the color of the rest of us normals, not supers? More on that in a moment. Purple? Purple! Yeah, because um, Vito gave him the, the purple clay thing. Well, that, whoa, my goodness, that's a picture of a spleen on Wikipedia, and I did not need to see that. Um, he did, Pete, and let's, let's stick with Jessica here for a moment. This also, I guess it continued it from 302, but the show really leaning into the idea, Pete, that they are supers. Okay, fine, we had the, you're not a hero, but you are a super. That's cool. Um... I just want to mention tangentially, Pete, something that I think we've discussed on the podcast at one point or another. The phrase superhero, one word, two word, uh, divided by a, uh, a, uh, a dash, that is official copywritten property of Marvel Comics and DC Comics combined. You just can't go out there and say superhero, but they're treating it like they can't, even though they're Marvel. Watch me. 
Well, Pete, that's why you're super. What theories do you have? Who wants to kill Jessica's fun time pal, Eric? Well, this is where I guess I'm a little confused about the marketing, and I'm glad that I only watched the season preview once. And it was a week before uh, the, the season dropped, so it kind of faded a bit in memory. Uh, in my mind, we have yet to have that guy that looked like season-long bad guy. Um, so we might be headed to him. But in the interim, we kind of... We don't have that clear person that is clearly the bad guy. And if, we, if we're kind of backing into it, so be it. But maybe it's that person and then that puts him on a collision course with Jessica. I'm not complaining. It's just strange that, I don't know, there's not a clearer, you know, like I am Kingpin. I want to get out of prison. I will come for you. Well, you know, who doesn't want to kill us, Matt, that's the good people of patreoncom slash fantastic geek. Pete, they are our burgers in the fridge. They are the fridge. They help the podcast last in the past, in the future, both directions, etc. They make sure that things are sustainable. They make sure that we continue to be listener-supported. And for that, we are so grateful. And indeed, Pete, grateful enough to have some perks. Yes, this burger costs you but a dollar a month to start. Uh, you can certainly pay more. It's going to get you all sorts of exclusive uh, privileges with that. So get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the P with the H and check it out today. Now let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, here's a tweet from Moo Points, that's at Moo Points Pod, who says, trying to focus at work and function normally mid-Jessica Jones season is frankly impossible. Hashtag Jessica Jones. Hashtag I need a week off. That Moo Points is a massive Jessica Jones fan, so I definitely feel uh, the pain there. Well, Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk Jessica Jones, to talk Cloak and Dagger, to talk Spider-Man Far From Home, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Star Wars, Mandalorian, Star Trek in general? How can they be in touch? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,551 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment, on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today pete for those listening on the pop culture podcast feed we will be back on saturday to talk agents of shield and late sunday to talk more jessica jones as we continue to make our way through the final season with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word so I learned something recently, something you should know. No one is unstoppable. Mm-hmm.